Kneel before Zod! You can't go! All the plants are gonna die! I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil! Don't touch it! The name's Pliskin. No! Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie, released November 20th, 1981. It was written by John W. Dunn, David Dateague, and Fritz Freeling, with stories by Dunn, Freeling, Warren Foster, and Ted Pierce, directed by Freeling, and released by Warner Brothers. In the early 1930s, Warner Brothers began producing animated shorts called Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies as an answer to Disney's Silly Symphonies. Seems lazy to just use two synonyms for Silly Symphonies for your flagship cartoon brand, <laughs> yeah. but I guess it worked. It's just like, what's a word for crazy and a word for music? Done. Alliteration. Sold. By the late 70s, the major characters of these cartoons were getting fewer and fewer reruns, and Warner Brothers had plans to bring them back into the public consciousness with a series of theatrically released compilation films. CBS jointly purchased the broadcast rights of 1979's The Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie from director Chuck Jones and this, the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie from Fritz Freeling. The release of these films had the desired effect of reintroducing a new generation of kids to the Looney Tunes stable, and reruns of old animated shorts flooded CBS's Saturday morning TV schedule. I do, I do recall, and I mean, I wasn't alive at 81, but I do recall having seen this movie right. before and having experienced these out, all of these shorts outside of this movie right. as well. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, there was... Ample. Often enough to see differences between there was, the, the, yeah exactly the there was there was tons of these shorts uh, mm -hmm. uh, available I don't I don't even know how or when I watched them but I I mean I knew them well I, I think it was just mixed into the Saturday morning lineups forever and yeah. we watched a lot of that stuff growing up this film featured about twenty minutes of new material and I'll try to point it out where I can I it, think it's pretty obvious yeah I mean some of it is and some of it's not. The estimated budget, excluding the cost of producing the recycled segments, was around $1.5 million. And our dumbest IMDb trivia oh. for this episode, <laughs> this motion picture has not been produced by David H. DePatty. <laughs> Who is that? put that on a hundred different movies. <laughs> also, the tense is weird. Has not been produced. Like, it might sometime in the future. <laughs> David H. DePatty? American film? He's an American film producer. Uh, not every film, though. Not everyone. I have it on good authority. He didn't produce one. He was in charge of the Warner Brothers cartoon studio. So it's probably something that people might associate with him. But he didn't. We're here to set the record straight, folks. His hands weren't anywhere near this. Yeah. The film starts with Bugs Bunny's Academy Award-winning cartoon short, Nighty Night Bugs, introduced as such by Bugs himself. Meeped an Academy Award-winning cartoon short. An aging King Arthur orders the Knights of the Round Table to recover their stolen singing sword from the Black Knight. Sir Osis of the Liver fears the Knight's Dragon. Sir, Sir Osis. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Sir Loin of Beef has heard he's invincible. Arthur calls them chickens, and then Bugs Bunny enters as a court jester. He tells the king that only a fool would take this mission. A good idea, fool. Wow, 
Bugs will be tortured and killed if he doesn't return the singing sword. This is something I kind of miss with cartoons. That yeah. They just talk about brutally murdering the characters all the time. Oh, there's so much violence. So many these. guns and cigarettes. <laughs> we cut to the Black Knight and his dragon. The knight is being played by Yosemite Sam, and the dragon has a cold and occasionally sneezes fire. Bugs walks right into the place to take the sword and wonders aloud why they call it that before the sword begins to sing and dance in his hand. The singing wakes the Black Knight and the chase begins. The Black Knight rides his dragon after Bugs and they catch up with him just outside the castle walls. But Bugs jumps into a rabbit hole to hide and then returns to the Knight's castle and pulls up the drawbridge. When the Knight demands he lower it, he does so on the Knight's head. Open that bridge, varmint! Open it, I say! Close it! Close it! Close it up again! The knight returns with a catapult, prepared to launch himself within the castle walls, but he just hits the castle wall and we see a stone punched in from the outside. Uh, I really like the stone punched in because it's not one of those frames of animation where you can tell that it's going to move. Right, it matches yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. It just looks very Jenga-y, this mm -hmm. block sliding out. Next, the knight tries climbing with a rope and Bugs takes a mallet to the climbing knight as if he were playing croquet. He knocks the knight out of his armor down the rope. Later, when Bugs tries again to leave, the knight and dragon watch him from behind a rock, but a sneeze from the dragon lights the knight's butt on fire again. They chase him back into the castle, and Bugs traps them in an explosives cabinet, where, of course, the dragon can't help but sneeze. And when he does, Bugs watches the castle's tower launched to the moon like a rocket. Nighty Night Bugs was produced and directed by Frizz Freeling. He got an Oscar, and I got a carrot. Now we cut to the actual feature presentation, Freeling's Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. We see the classic red Merry Melodies rings, and one by one, the Warner Brothers cartoon stable appear to recite their catchphrases before the next segment. Hey, what's up, Doc? You're despicable. Fluffer and fuck a cash. Ooh, I thought I saw a putty cat. The name's Porky Pig. It's like, that's not your catchphrase. That's not, yeah. You just like, couldn't say that's all folks already. Yeah. Because people will start leaving. <laughs> yeah. We don't want people to think this was a seven-minute theatrical release. The rings iris out to reveal a montage of slapstick and pratfalls from silent films, and Bugs explains how audiences flocked to these shows for years. Then, Warner Brothers began producing Merry Melodies, and the silent film stars felt the pressure. As Charlie Chaplin himself once said, how can we compete? These guys don't have to stop to take a breath. Bugs then transitions to introducing a specific character, the Wild West outlaw Yosemite Sam, who pushes through a pair of saloon doors with his trademark six-shooters. I'm the hootinest, tootinest, shootinest, bobtail wildcat in the West! As soon as he's done introducing himself, we cut to what looks like a reverse angle of a devil standing at a pulpit in hell looking down at the man. Well, hello there. And obviously, everything with this devil is original to right. this film and it looks much higher quality animation than a lot of the rest of it I, th I feel like because there were so few interstitials that they really put the work in on these characters well i mean i think that the, the reality is that you know something made in 1981 is just going to look different than these these shorts which were made in you know most of them in the 50s right but they could have just tried to match that style that animation style and instead they went above and beyond it looks higher frame rate it looks like a more detailed character yeah I wish they would have matched the style. <laughs> yeah. Flames eat through the scene to transition to a title card that reads Act 1, Satan's Waitin'. Which is pretty edgy Yeah, for a kid's movie, just to, just to flat out say, yeah, Satan, we're saying it. Yep. 
Um, also, uh, Satan's Waiting is a cartoon, but it's a cartoon about Sylvester mm. constantly being sent to hell and going back up to catch Tweety. But so the only part of this that's borrowed from another film is just the title card. They actually use the title they card from the, the original card. Satan's. Well, movie. and the concept. Right, and the concept. <laughs> but they, none of the animation is recycled for that part of this yeah. cartoon. I feel like this is this interstitial is the one that works the best out of all of them in terms of making it sense unified. and, and yeah. you know, me not being bothered by the fact that we're jumping around so much. Yeah. The cartoon that follows is actually a repurposing of 1953's cartoon Hair Trimmed. We dissolve to Main Street of Donut Center and a banner over the street reads, What a hole. We zoom into Sam reading the obituaries taped in the window of a local newspaper office. Behind him, Bugs Bunny digs himself out of the porch's floorboards and nibbles on a carrot while reading over Sam's shoulder. Local widow inherits $50 million. Weirdly, the article accompanying the headline is a description of the making of the 1952 film Retreat Hell. Starring Frank Lovejoy and Richard Carlson. What? I guess they just wrote down whatever they had around. <laughs> but uh, $50 million is half a billion dollars right now. If you, if you go from when this cartoon initially aired. Predictably, we cut to Sam in a fancy suit with chocolates and flowers, but still wearing his bandit mask. So he's not making the best impression. He shares out loud a few of his characteristically evil plans for spending the money and one decent suggestion. When I get my hands on that money, I'll buy the old lady's home and kick the old ladies out. I'll have the orphan's home torn down and I'll get rid of the police department. <laughs> okay, so he's not all bad. Bugs overhears the plot and plans to intervene. Inside the house, we see Granny sitting beside a raging fire with a firewood basket overflowing with bundles of cash labeled money to burn. She tosses a couple stacks on the fire before answering a knock at the door. I want you, baby! Sam chases her around the house, and she seems into it. Sam, shake. Nothing like this has happened to me since the boys got back from Gettysburg. The Battle of Gettysburg took place in 1863, <laughs> and this first aired 90 years later, so Granny is older than I realized. <laughs> Another gentleman knocks at the door, and it's Bugs, dressed as a French gentleman seeking her hand. Sam is not happy to find competition. What is up, Monsieur Le Physician? You darn dude! Sam slaps him with a glove, and Bugs demands the Marquis of Queensbury rules, which is a collection of generally accepted rules in the sport of boxing. So essentially, he's challenging Sam to a boxing match, and then immediately after that, a duel. Pistols at 10 paces? But when counting the paces, Bugs keeps counting half and quarter steps until Sam is in the middle of the street and gets hit by a bus. Sam rushes back to the door, and Bugs answers dressed as Granny. He chases her around the house again until Granny, in quotes, pushes a piano down the stairs to crush him. This cartoon is now illegal in some states. <laughs> Granny finds the flattened outlaw and offers him coffee, and while she steps away to get it, Bugs returns in her place with the classic one lump or two bit. Make it two. Two? Okay. One, two. <laughs> Sam is barely recovering from the bonk to the head when Granny returns asking the same question and he kicks the drink out of her hand before realizing his mistake. She barricades herself upstairs with a shotgun and when he tries to climb over the door to get to her, she shoots him in the face. <laughs> oh, cartoons. Bugs appears again as Granny and agrees to move in with Sam and elope. Sam stands in the yard as Bugs tosses heavy things down to him until the safe, which smashes Sam through the ground into hell. There, he meets the devil, who is impressed with his evil exploits. Sam makes a deal that he'll bring back another soul from Earth to take his place. Do you guys recall the last time that someone made a deal with the devil that they'd bring back another soul to take their place? Yeah, except it was three. 
Uh-huh. It's the devil and Max Devlin. That's right. Uh, th- this is also where you can really tell the difference between Mel Blanc's current or at the time 1980s voice versus his 1950s voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he still? He, he did both in. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just scratchier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sam is sent back to ancient Roman times, but somehow knows that bugs will still be here too. Now we transition to another Freeling short, which debuted in 1955, originally entitled Roman Legion Hair. Oh, actually, when you're talking about the voice here, uh, this this moment where um, he's first talking to the devil and he's all nervous, yeah. he sounds more like Bugs than he ever does oh, normally. Because, yeah. he, I mean, he does both voices. Right, he but, does so many of but them. But in, in this particular case, he sounds a lot like Bugs Bunny. Yeah. A title tells us it's now 54 AD, so we won't have that pesky Jesus interrupting the story. A billboard reads, another Appian freeway for your safety. Slow chariots keep right. Sam leads the Roman legion in a parade, and their marching draws bugs out of his hole. They chase him into the Colosseum, but he hides next to the entrance and trips them all. Sam follows him on a chariot, but it goes way too fast and races past the rabbit. Bugs hides in the corridors under the Colosseum, past all the lion cages. Sam is annoyed by one of the big cats growling and clubs it over the head, at which point Bugs cranks open the lion's cage. How many times do I have to tell you to shut up? Sam barely escapes through a door and locks it behind him, but the lion drags him back under the door to attack. Bugs finds another room to hide in, and it's full of sleeping lions. Sam tiptoes through the room behind him, and just as Bugs climbs a ladder to escape through a hole in the ceiling against the opposite wall, he drops an alarm clock into the room with Sam and the sleeping lions. Eventually, Sam escapes through the same hole and finds Bug waiting across a pit full of lions and employs stilts to cross the pit. Bugs tosses the cat's hammers and saws, and Sam starts running back to his side as the stilts get shorter and shorter. Bugs is loosed into the center of the Colosseum, and a crowd of lions race past him over the wall and chase down Sam so that he has to jump off a cliff to escape them and lands back in hell. And this last section of the thing where he's jumping off a cliff is the fresh animation for this one because Mm -hmm. they have to send him back to the devil. He begs the devil for a second chance and is granted one. Sam finds himself atop a camel in a Middle Eastern desert, and now we're in the 1955 short Sahara Hare. Sam finds Bugs' footprints in the dirt and tries to follow, but he can't control his camel very well. Bugs is bathing in an oasis and then drives his hands on Sam's keffiyeh. Sam introduces himself as Riff Raff Sam this time, and Bugs runs away, but Sam's camel is again uncooperative. Bugs finds an abandoned car in the desert. Boy, what a break! But when he can't get it to start, the whole thing just fades away around him. What a spot to pick for a Miraji. Bugs runs to a castle in the desert and slams the door in Sam's face. He sees a sign that reads, For rent or lease, call Morocco 4131. Sam knocks on the door and Bugs throws it open hard to flatten him again. Sam tries to catapult over the walls and crashes face first into a Merlin on the battlement. Yeah, a lot a lot of these things are... Reuses. Yeah. joke. Next, he charges the gate with an elephant, so Bugs sends a wind-up mouse under it, and the elephant uses Sam to try and smash the mouse. Bugs installs a long series of doors to keep Sam out, and he opens them all one at a time. The last door is connected to an explosive device, and Bugs walks away from the castle to watch from afar. I wonder if he's stubborn enough to open all those doors. Sam lands back in hell and then jumps right into an elevator to return to Earth. That elevator only goes one way, down. 
Sam jumps up the elevator shaft with his butt on fire, and then the devil zaps him to the Wild West where Sam belongs. This is the 1959 short, Wild and Wooly Hair, and we see the same clip from earlier of Sam kicking through the saloon doors, but this time he's interrupted. I'm the fastest gun north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. I'm the... Yeah, shit it! Bugs is a cowboy at the bar with a cigarette in his mouth, and Sam starts shouting in his face until Bugs pushes him back. Ah, when cartoons could smoke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is also a... A widely memed scene of bugs at the uh, yeah at the bar counter. Yeah. Stranger, you just yupped yourself into a hole in the head. You've been eating onions, and you're gonna be eating lead. Bugs announces an impressive trick shot, bouncing a bullet all over town and then parting Sam's hair. After which he seems to fail the challenge. Ha! You missed. Wait. Until Sam's hat falls off his head in two halves. Sam throws a can in the air and shoots it six times before it hits the ground, and then Bugs tosses the same can in the air and shoots corks to plug all the holes. They prepare for another duel, but Bugs follows Sam in the wrong direction, so when Sam turns to try and shoot his guns early, he's already past Bugs before he pulls the trigger. His arms are on both sides of the rabbit. And then he kisses him. Yeah. <laughs> Bugs stays close enough that Sam can't hit him. They part ways, and Sam starts shooting all over until he realizes the train is coming through town, and he has to rob it. Bugs rides along to protect the train. Suddenly, he's the engineer, and Sam keeps crashing his horse, first into a post beside the track, then into a wall with a tunnel for the train, and then off a cliff into a canyon. He swims to the other side and starts a second train to crash head-on into Bugs' train, but Bugs pulls a lever for his train to extend above the tracks and clear Sam's, and then Sam's train goes flying off a cliff in the opposite direction, sending him back to hell. But the wheels of Bugs' train stay on the tracks, so yeah. they should still have collided, but Right, they don't. Also, those other things should have killed Sam, but... Oh, yeah, <laughs> but, but those didn't. other things that happened, when that granny shot him in the face with a shotgun. <laughs> well, what, what I was trying to, like, work out the physics of, and I think it would have been a fun gag, when he's riding a horse and he somehow... somehow he crashes into a post, but the horse doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> like, what does that mean? What were you doing? Like, leaning way off the side of it? <laughs> he gets hereditaried. Yeah. <laughs> I watched that movie. <laughs> the devil offers Sam another shot, but he doesn't take it, instead donning his own devil suit down here. Now we cut to Act 2, The Unmentionables, with a Department of Justice seal on the background. In another montage of old black and white films, Bugs explains that the rising popularity of gangster films led to a similar evolution in cartoons. Then we cut to a cartoon which was originally called The Unmentionables in 1963, a parody of the popular series The Untouchables. The cartoon version is centered on Bugs Bunny as Elliot Ness parody, Elegant Mess. He's assigned by the Justice Department to investigate a crime syndicate, but he's quickly taken hostage. Gangsters Rocky and Muggsy outfit Mess with some concrete shoes and then toss him off a pier. Bugs escapes by breathing through a pipe and hopping out of the water. We cut to the mob hideout Rocky's for Rocky's own birthday party and we're introduced to a collection of fun gangster parodies. Among those attending were Jack Legs Rhinestone, Babyface Half Nelson, Pizza Puss Lasagna, Pistol Nose Pringle, and Teeth Malloy. Bugs pops out of Rocky's birthday cake dressed as a flapper girl and then dances a bit as Rocky approaches. Bugs kicks him while dancing until Rocky loses his patience and starts shooting everywhere. 
I it, this is one that I quote a lot because yeah. the, the stop, stop the, the music, music. <laughs> stop the music. As soon as he said it the first time, I was like, oh yeah, he's gonna keep saying this. <laughs> this is real familiar. I like you. Stop the music. Stop, stop the music. They run to a dark warehouse. When they flip on the lights, Bugs has a gun on Rocky and shoots him. They turn off the lights again, and everybody trades places so that Bugs can shoot Rocky again. The factory and the warehouse whirs to life, and Rocky and Bugsy are sent down a chute into a mixer and then packed into cereal boxes. Now, the way this cartoon initially ends is it cuts right to them being sent to jail. Right. But now we get this fresh animation sequence. We cut to a courtroom full of Irish stereotype cops, and Rocky's attorney shows up to get him off the hook. One moment, Your Honor. I want to present to the court a writ of habeas corpus, a writ of corpus delicti, and a writ of ad nauseum charging that my client is deprived of his rights of ipso facto, nuxo vomicus, ad e pluris unum, and I insist on his immediate release under the precedent set by Section 8, Paragraph 95 of Rogers versus Semper Fidelius. Now, going through all these Latin phrases one at a time. <laughs> Habeas corpus is the right to a trial, which Rocky might be denied by not being here in the courtroom. Yeah. Corpus delecti means that there needs to be sufficient evidence of a crime presented, so that could be a problem too. Ad nauseum just means that something's been repeated enough to be an annoyance. Ipso facto means therefore. Epsilomicus? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's nonsense, because I tried each individual word, words that sound like it. Epsilomicus, no idea. E pluribus unum is out of many one. That's the U.S. motto. <laughs> and semper fidelius or fidelis, always loyal, is also a famous John Philip Sousa march, the official march of the U.S. Marines, hence semper fi. The judge dismisses the case because he doesn't want to translate any of it. Now, I don't know if what if they were making this reference here because the judge is Judge Hugo Strait. Um, and I don't know if that's a Hugo, Hugo Strange, Strange yeah, reference. Maybe. Because Hugo Strange did exist in the Batman universe at this time. Maybe. Later, we see Rocky robbing Spiffany Jewels, and we switch to a story about Porky Pig discovering he has a chicken that can lay golden eggs. Originally, a 1950 short entitled Golden Yeggs. Get it? Because that's not the word eggs. You just put a Y in front of it. <laughs> Equals comedy. I didn't really understand this transition at all. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> I, and especially at first, because it's like, oh, they're robbing a store. Oh, now Porky has a duck that can lay an egg and and then the gangsters come back into it but i was like that's the laziest transition so far before yeah. that happened porky tries to figure out which bird laid this egg uh, who's responsible who, who's responsible who did this the duck that did it is too smart to admit it uh, i know who it was it was me but i'm no fool i know what happened to the goose that laid the golden egg <laughs> he points out daffy duck as the culprit but he indicates that the, they killed it isn't like, that why, how the story goes, though? Why would you kill it? Because people fight over it. Oh. The same reason that lottery winners get killed very often. He points out Daffy Duck as the culprit, and Rocky reads the story in Life magazine about the duck that lays the golden eggs. Oh, when he points out Daffy, Daffy takes a moment and looks down between his legs <laughs> and like, then uh, looks back up. Yeah. Bugs reads the same article and predicts that Rocky will make a move for it. The mob steals the duck from Porky and bring it back to an apartment in the city and demand golden eggs at gunpoint. Daffy demands the proper conditions and they build him a whole vacation home. About that egg. Oh yeah, the egg. Uh, a little later on possibly. Uh, I'm not in the mood right now. The gangsters shoot Daffy and take him back to the little apartment. They give him five minutes to lay the golden egg and he asks for some privacy. 
He tries to leave and somehow uses a key and walks out the back door before realizing it isn't a door, but Muggsy filling the doorframe and holding a doorknob where the doorknob would be. On the other side, he finds Rocky. Four minutes. He jumps down a laundry chute and a butler returns with the duck pressed and folded. Your laundry, sir. Three minutes. Daffy climbs out the window on a bedsheet and at the bottom of the sheet, Rocky holds a sign that says one minute. At the last second, he finally actually tries and manages to lay one egg when Rocky shoots him in the face. <laughs> they make him lay more eggs and fill hundreds of cartons until Mess bursts in to save him. Now, the part with Mess coming in here at the end is new right. to the cartoon because normally Bugs Bunny and is not a part of this one. This is just supposed to be the gangsters took the duck that lays the eggs and he doesn't actually lay hundreds of them at the end. Is there anything we can get for you, old chap? Yes, get me a proctologist right away. <laughs> I don't think that's how eggs work. <laughs> a headline announces that Rocky avoided charges again and then that a million dollar canary has been stolen. Bugs swears in Sylvester as a special deputy to help find Tweety and we cut to a 1953 short called Caddy Cornered. We see the mob playing cards with Tweety and a cage beside them. Sylvester sees the cage through a window from outside and climbs up to it. Hey, boss. I thought I tore a putty tat. You did, you did tear a putty tat. They put a banana peel out on the ledge and Sylvester slips and falls into the trash below. Coming back up the stairs, Sylvester and Tweety find each other and Sylvester offers his mouth to hide in. Then he hides Tweety in a little tin can on the floor as the gangsters approach. They torture him for information until Tweety starts walking around under the can. Rocky replaces Tweety with a stick of dynamite and then leaves Sylvester alone in the hall with the can again so that when he's racing downstairs with it, it explodes. He stumbles up the stairs and then falls down them again. You dirty guys! The cops roll up outside Rocky's place and they try to hide the bird in the dumbwaiter, not realizing Sylvester's in there. And as the cat leaves the building, the press take loads of pictures of him, and we can see a Daily Bugle headline, Hero Cat Saves Bird. We cut to a special event where Sylvester is receiving an award and is asked to kiss Tweety for the cameras and, of course, eats the bird before it's slapped out of his mouth. We cut to Rocky's incarceration at Juliet Prison, a parody of Joliet Prison in Illinois. Do you guys recall the last time we saw Joliet Prison? Blues Brothers? That's right. Who was getting released? Uh, one of the Blues Brothers? <laughs> Juliet Jake. <laughs> Juliet Jake. <laughs> then we see that Rocky and Muggsy are breaking rocks in a prison yard, still handcuffed to Elegant Mess, who lost the keys to his cuffs. This was the original ending and used to go immediately after the first time they get caught in right. this section. Now we kick off Act 3, the Oswald Awards. Bugs explains that Fritz Freeling had now won five Oscars and two Emmys, and he still just had a carrot. So Freeling invented the Oswald Awards for cartoons to win. Celebrity cartoons come walking down the red carpet outside, starting with Pepe Le Pew, and the interview can barely stand him. <laughs> Boy, I must say meeting you has been a breathtaking experience. Next comes Porky and the Three Little Pigs, followed closely by the Big Bad Wolf. After them, we see Foghorn Leghorn and two terrifying hybrid chicken women. Like, Oh my God, I yes. cannot <laughs> tell what species they're supposed to be. It's, they have chicken legs, but they have like cleavage under their feathers. Yes, and like, but like bare skin shoulders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the feathers look like, you know, a dress and then chicken heads. I've heard chicken, chicken breasts, heads. but that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's weird. It's like that scene in uh, Howard the Duck. Oh God. <laughs> There's the duck bathing and she's got nipples. Sweet, sweet duck nipples. <laughs> 
And then Yosemite Sam, who the interviewer mistakes for Wild Bill Hickok. Yosemite says if he doesn't win, he's going to shoot up the place. Then we see Tweety and Sylvester arrive one after another. Second to last, Daffy Duck arrives in Top and Tails and pauses for the applause of one person in the crowd. Just for that, no autographs. Finally, Bugs Bunny arrives, also in Top and Tails, and the crowd goes wild. We move into the theater and Bugs reads off the list of Oswald nominees. So this Oswald award, dude, yeah. is... It seems unusual that it might be named after Oswald the, the Lucky Rabbit. Rabbit yeah, I did think that. That's Disney, right? Yeah. So It might have just been, you don't use this character anymore, so we're going to make a reference to it. Well, or being like the first famously animated character. Yeah, maybe. We move into the theater, and Bugs reads off the list of Oswald nominees. First is The Big Bad Wolf, and they play a 1957 Three Little Pigs cartoon called Three Little Bops. It's a sort of jazzy musical retelling of the Three Little Pigs story. The wolf tries to join their band in a club, but every time he blows his horn, it sucks. They throw him out, and he uses his trumpet to blow down the club made of straw, and then the same thing happens to a house of sticks, and then bricks, but of course he couldn't knock over the last one. Daffy talks through the show in the theater until Granny snaps a mousetrap on his beak. The wolf disguises himself and then sneaks into the club playing a ukulele, and they kick him out anyway, so he tries to blow it up with TNT, but then accidentally blows himself up, where he goes to hell and plays a horn in a cauldron. The pigs decide they like this new sound, and they let his ghost join the group. Bugs takes the stage again to introduce the next joint nomination, Sylvester and Tweety, and we get a 1957 short called Birds Anonymous. Sylvester steals Tweety from his cage, and he is interrupted by a second cat speaking in Marvin the Martian's voice. <laughs> mm. This cat is named Clarence, and he gives Sylvester a card for Birds Anonymous. Sylvester goes to a meeting of the group. I was a three-bird-a-day pussycat until B.A. helped me. Sylvester swears off eating birds to the crowd. Fellow members, from now on, my motto is... Birds is strictly for the birds. Later at home, Sylvester tries to ignore his desire to eat birds, but the TV is tuned to a cooking show and he salivates over a roast turkey on screen. He turns it off, but then envisions Tweety in her cage as a tiny cooked bird. In the theater, Sylvester's stomach is growling and he tries to eat Tweety in an ice cream cone, but Granny rescues her. Her or him? I don't know if Tweety's a boy or a girl. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, you bad old putty cat. In the short, Sylvester handcuffs himself to the radiator. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character chain themselves up in an apartment to avoid eating? Uh, yes I do. And also being a part of a group that's trying to help him avoid eating. But then when he invites that person over, they both have a setback. Yeah, I. Th so that was my note. My, my note was, uh, do you remember the last time we had a support group mentor lose control? <laughs> <laughs> and that would be... Oh, sorry. I was looking up whether or not Twitty was a boy or a girl. <laughs> Does is there an answer? Inter Internet claims it's a male. Oh, okay. I'll I'll go with he then. Yeah. Sorry. What was the question? Do you guys recall the last time we saw a character chain himself up in an apartment to avoid eating, and more specifically, chain himself up to avoid eating and invite over the founder of the support group to help him, and then they both have a setback? No. Uh, fatso. That's right. Oh yeah. And he, some lemon. <laughs> <laughs> just just a dab of lemon. I'll take some honey. He breaks free of his bindings, but the cat from B.A. interrupts again to rescue Tweety. That night, Sylvester suffers from irrepressible bird withdrawal and tries again to eat Tweety, and the bird's anonymous cat pours alum into his open mouth. Sylvester's lips shrink up so tight he can't even fit Tweety inside. 
In the theater, the B.A. cat Clarence pops up to compliment Sylvester's performance. In the cartoon, Clarence shows his affection for birds by kissing Tweety and then suddenly rages trying to eat him. And Sylvester has to rescue the bird now. Sylvester catches Clarence trying to leave the theater with the bird in his mouth. That's the story of my wife. In one cat and out the other. That sounds weird. Yeah. Sounds like you're not getting digested. <laughs> Is that why he's yellow? Because he's corn? He's a <laughs> okay. corn It's variety. a corn bird. The fabled corn bird. Bugs announces the third nominee in the Oswald category, and the third nominee is himself. He presents a clip from 1948's High Diving Hair, the oldest clip so far. Bugs is playing a carnival barker in a Wild West town, announcing a performance by the Fearless Freep, and Yosemite Sam is a fan. Fearless Freep! That's my boy! Give me a ticket! He buys every ticket to the show, but there's still a packed house when he gets there. Yeah. Freep sends a telegram to Bugs that he won't make the show, and when Bugs tells the crowd, Sam makes Bugs do the high dive act in Freep's place. Bugs makes Sam cover his eyes so he can switch around the diving board and tricks Sam into falling off his side of the board into the water barrel below. Bugs tricks Sam off the board again before he realizes there's no water in the tank, so he dumps water down and it manages to get to the bottom before Sam, <laughs> but Sam misses the puddle anyway and slams into the ground on the stage. Bugs tricks Sam off the board a bunch more times. I dashed you to step across this line. I'm a steppin'. The same thing happens over and over until Sam saws the diving board to send Bugs plummeting, but impossibly, when he finishes cutting through it, the board floats in midair and the latter side of the platform falls to the stage below. I know this defies the law of gravity, but uh, you see, I never studied law. Bugs opens the envelope to announce the winner, and Daffy steals the paper to read Bugs' name. The two face off on stage, and Daffy challenges Bugs to a talent show, and we transition to a 1957 short called Showbiz Bugs, which has honestly been one of my favorite Bugs and Daffy cartoons for all time, and I, I feel like I talk about this one to people a lot, actually. They do some tap dancing, and the crowd prefers Bugs from the outset. He gets ruckus applause, and Daffy plays to crickets. Next... Daffy doesn't act with trained pigeons, but they all fly out an open exit door, which would actually be a hilarious act, especially if he took this long setting up the obstacle course yeah. and then he finally opens the cage and they all leave. <laughs> He's just like, hey, and, and he walks off stage. Um, Bugs follows up with a magic show and uses Daffy as a volunteer, so Daffy tries to spoil every trick as Bugs saws him in half. Look, I'm not cut in half! Stop applauding! It's a fake! But he notices as he's like, gesticulating that his top half is just bouncing on his bottom half and he's mm -hmm. like oh i am cut in half whoops good thing i got blue cross next we get the classic bit where a specific key of a xylophone is triggered to explode and bugs plays the song endearing young charms wrong to avoid the note until daffy can't stand it Next, we see Bugs juggling, and the crowd loves it, so Daffy jumps out with his special finale. And this is arguably the coolest performance anyone has ever done. Daffy comes out dressed as the devil. He chugs a bottle of nitroglycerin, <laughs> a jug of gunpowder, and a bottle of enriched uranium-238, and then shakes it all up in his belly to make himself into a dirty bomb. He swallows a lit match, and then explodes, and the crowd goes wild. Daffy's ghost appears for an encore, and Bugs gives him the Oswald after all. Now, this part with the Oswald is not in the original right. cartoon. Yeah. Originally, 
his ghost is floating up off the stage as if he's going to heaven, but still dressed as a devil. Yeah. yeah. And and they are just applauding him. He wins in that cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I like about it so much is that it's like we you we got to see the point that Daffy is so desperate to win that he's going to do this one thing that Bugs is not willing to do, and so Daffy wins the day once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I always as a kid was like, oh, good for him. Like even if <laughs> even if he had to do that, like that's awesome. It's great role model. That's awesome for that children. they didn't take it away from him still. <laughs> yes. When yeah. he died, but this one kind of does take it away from him because he gives Daffy the Oswald, and then uh, Bugs bows for more applause, and then when Daffy bows, it's crickets again. And it's like, what? I just blew myself up for you people. You you all have cancer now because of me. Why aren't you applauding? It just goes to show you, you gotta kill yourself to win an Oswald in this town. The end. That's all, folks. Hey, I'm on a, 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 supposed to say that. That's my line. Well, then say it. Dirty guys. Credits roll. That's... The Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. I, I do I really feel like this last chunk with the awards is the laziest out yeah, of all of them. Because it's just a film festival because they were like, we couldn't figure out a framework for these. Yeah, cartoons. there's there was no way to connect anything else. And yeah. so they're just like, Well, what's a reason that you just play them randomly? Yeah. But I, I agree that the gangster one is pretty sloppy too. Yeah. I, I almost would have just preferred to watch the original shorts. Yeah. yeah. Like just strung together. with their own yeah. titles so that I could right. find them later if I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. I was it took me a while to figure some of these out. Yeah, I, I went back through all of them myself. And they're not like, all on the IMDB connections page. So Yeah. Now and I I'm, I'm sure it was intentional. I thought it was interesting that not a single one of these was a Chuck Jones. Yeah. Right. Well that's because in 79, they had just done a, a Chuck Jones collection. Right. These were all actually directed by Freeling. Right. Okay. That makes sense why he wasn't part of any of them yeah. then. But being, you know, an origi- the originator of Bugs Bunny, you'd think he would have been part of some of right. these. Well, I think they just wanted to be able to, because they had already done their Chuck Jones one, right. and it did really well that they wanted to celebrate this other guy who had sort of taken up the mantle mm. of the character. Because um, the two of them have directed more Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies than anybody. Yeah. And Chuck Jones got to appear in Joe Dante films. Yeah. I wonder if that, in fact, even limited their choices even more to Probably. say we have to yeah. pick the ones that you've done. And so now it's like we don't have the whole library to choose from. And I've never seen the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie. Yeah. Um, or the 3001 Nights or whatever, the, the next one, because they, they kept doing these through yeah. the 80s. Yeah. So the, there's a third Bugs Bunny movie also. Um, that I think has Freeling stuff in it. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested to watch the Chuck Jones one because, honestly, the Roadrunner and uh, Coyote cartoons were always my favorite mm. from the Looney Tunes stuff. Um, but uh, growing up, obviously, we had mentioned that we watched a lot of these. Just somehow we absorbed them through yeah. whatever medium. Yeah. we. Um, I had a, a couple of video cassettes that um, – uh, were part of a collection. Yeah, uh, they were the, like these bright yellow boxes. Oh, we had those too. Yeah, but they I'm were all sure. Yeah, the, the, these were all weird shorts though, because they were oh. all licensed by this other company uh, whose name is escaping me for I th- a while. I think you mentioned this when we did our jazz singer review because it had that the Owl Jolson cartoon. Correct. Yeah, yeah. And I like the singer. Yeah, about mm. the moon and the June um, and the spring. Yeah, they licensed a bunch of cartoons. Um, to this other company, and they l- somehow lost the renewal rights on all these. So they were just like box set. Yeah, well, yeah, they went into public domain, um, but they were, but some of the shorts were like very racially insensitive. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
those were things I watched like on repeat. Yeah. Because yeah. I had them on tape, so I could just pop the tape yeah, at any time. Um but I I'm trying to think of what channel or where they aired, but I I, I remember watching them all the time. I think it was time. on Fox a lot. It, I, I mean, it must, like I know so many of these so well mm-hmm. that I either had tapes of them or they must have aired just aired on television all the well, time. Well, Warner Brothers definitely had a deal with Fox, right? Because Fox Animation did the Animaniacs. Yeah, they were in the Warner Brothers and, and Tiny Toons. Yeah. So I, I, I think it must have just been mixed in with that collection on Saturday mornings. And so when I watched those other shows, then when they had like an open hour, they would just play assorted. Mm. Or maybe, maybe well, Cartoon Network didn't really play Warner Brothers. I didn't have Cartoon Network. Yeah, so it, it couldn't have been that. It had to be on one of the main channels. It, I'm, I'm guessing it was Fox, Fox Animation Saturday morning stuff. Yeah, because Warner Brothers didn't have their own channel until yeah. much later. And we would put that shit on at like 5 o'clock in the morning <laughs> and watch it until past yeah. noon because my parents were like, I'm sleeping until 1 today. <laughs> my, I mean, I, I, love, I love a lot of these old, you know, Mary Melody's shows, but like I feel like these were, were truncated and then strung together in weird ways. So I feel like I have really mixed feelings about this in general because I love the source material yeah. but I'm not a huge fan of how they made it into a movie Yeah. so I just I'm terribly torn about it and I also feel like obviously Freeling is great but his are the lesser cartoons compared to the Chuck Jones stuff for sure Um, and yeah. like Chuck Jones is more on the level of like a Gendy Tarkovsky like mm-hmm. does like really great stretch and skew nonsense stuff mm-hmm. and uh this this stuff felt pretty tame by comparison and obviously if in 10 cartoons they couldn't help but reuse like six jokes it's just like okay that's that's um a little bit inexcusable and i get that you made a bunch of money with only spending 1.5 million dollars um it, it was more a commercial for their own cartoons right i mean and and it makes sense because you know Disney at the time, you know, was releasing, you know, a movie every couple of years. Right. And, and and they were already starting to do that like, oh, it's out of the vault. We're putting mm-hmm. it back in theaters for a special run. Yeah, and and Warner Brothers was like, "Well, we got all this stuff already." Yeah. So It's like our stuff just isn't long form, so mm-hmm. we'll just have to make a compilation film. But not make it a compilation. Film. <laughs> I mean, it kind of isn't, it kind of isn't. Yeah. What are we thinking? Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down? Oh, I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up because the source material is just too good. Yeah, I, I think I will too. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up. I, I I much rather watch like a collection of the shorts though. You know what but, I would like to see is Gandhi Tartakovsky do a Coyote Roadrunner, like mm. full CG Coyote Roadrunner. You remember that test footage they did of a Coyote Roadrunner 3D? Yes, it was good. It was really nice looking. It, it yeah. was it, Was that a short that played in front of something? Or was it just test footage? I don't know. I just remember it looked really good. It reminds me of the of Gendy's Popeye stuff. Yes, the Sony. Popeye stuff. That was. I am so sad that the Popeye thing didn't yeah. happen. See, and I remember watching um, a Sylvester and Tweety short that was CG. Hmm. Um, and that was that was fairly recently, and I think it was the one I thought I saw a putty Ted standing out at me, like the that it was whatever short has that song. 
So they just reanimated with the same audio? It's reanimated with the same audio, but it's in modern times. And they added some new gags, and some of them were really funny. Huh. <laughs> like, Sylvester falls out the window, lands, and a car runs him over, and it goes, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> like, it's, it's <laughs> like, that, that's great. A little great. bit higher quality audio clips than usual. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a really funny little short. Um, I'll have to look that one up. I don't know that one. It's like they were trying to copy the style of uh, Roger Rabbit. Like that's that, what I was the thinking. The opening Roger Rabbit cartoon. Yeah, I was going to just say, uh, who directed that What's Cooking short? Was that... I mean, I know in the movie they say it was like Raul something. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know who did the actual yeah, animation. Because yeah. they did those shorts in front of a bunch of movies. There's like three full-length Roger Rabbit shorts mm-hmm. that played in front of movies. Um, what did we think uh, Letterboxd for this one? So, you know, again, I felt really torn about where to put this movie. I yeah. You know, because I, I like it. Just go with your heart. Put it. Put, I, I put it at yeah. 52, um, you know, because it's I, – I'd watch it again. Yeah. But it's not my favorite thing because of the way they've strung it together. Yeah. Uh, it's below mon- the Monster Club, but above Heavy Metal. Oh, interesting. Richard. Um, I have it much lower. I have it at 92, uh, which puts it under the rainbow. Under, <laughs> under the rainbow. <laughs> under, under the rainbow, uh, but above Going Ape. I have it in 126. Oh, you guys are harsh. I liked it. I like my 125. <laughs> which is strange behavior and it's just above the pursuit of db cooper which is the first one i don't like you are that's the line <laughs> that's you the have line. no discrimination yeah. there's no I, I it makes me feel bad because you picked me and apparently you would have picked anybody that said yes only somebody as great as you <laughs> anybody as great as you <laughs> You're his loony, loony bugs funny movie to compare to someone else's yeah. db cooper exactly <laughs> That made me feel better. The writer and director was Fritz Freeling. Uh, before his Warner years, he spent some time at Disney working on early Alice and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit shorts. So maybe it's a reference to that because he actually worked on Oswald. He left Disney and created a sort of Mickey Mouse ripoff for Warner called Bosco, who starred in his own early Looney Tunes shorts. Uh, Freeling developed nearly the entire Looney Tunes stable of cartoon characters, including Bugs, Porky, Tweety, Sylvester, Yosemite Sam, and Speedy Gonzales. The writer, John W. Dunn, uh, for stories. His first animation credit was in Oscar-nominated short Man in Space for Disney. His work, The Pied Piper of Guadalupe, was nominated again. After that, he followed Freeling and Chuck Jones around, first on Popeye the Sailor Man, and later he wrote the story for the Pink Panther shorts and Pink Fink, which finally won him an Oscar. Another writer credit for David DeTeague. He has lots of classic Disney shorts with Humphrey the Bear, like In the Bag, Later, lots of Pink Panther stuff. Another story credit for Warren Foster, who worked on Betty Boop, Popeye, Porky Shorts back in the 30s, and a lot of Looney Tunes between that and this. Another story credit for Ted Pierce, who was writing for Freeling since the mid-30s, mostly Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies since then. The music here came from Milt Franklin. Among his many musical credits, my favorite is that he and Chuck Jones together composed The Michigan Rag. Yeah. Another music credit for William Lava, who's a longtime Looney Tune Merry Melody composer, responsible for the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote music. We've heard his music before in Dracula vs. Frankenstein for a Patreon review, but that might have been a stock reuse because I think he was dead already at the time. Uh, music credit for Don McGinnis. This is an early credit for Don, but he also orchestrated on Blood Song. That's that movie with... Uh, it's an old-fashioned blood song. No, I go the yes. other way. The blood song stays on my mind. Yeah, it's the one about Luca Brasi murdering people. 
Uh, he also did music for My Little Pony, the show and the movie, and Muppet Babies. Another music credit for Shorty Rogers, mostly live-action TV composing like Fantasy Island, Starsky and Hutch, Vegas, The Love Boat. Another music credit for Carl W. Stalling, who did a lot of Silly Symphonies, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies. He was also the first person after Walt to ever voice Mickey Mouse. Oh. So he did it like just for one or two cartoons in the middle of Walt's run. Mm. Another music credit for Robert J. Walsh, who also wrote for Blood Song, Night Beast, Revenge of the Ninja. He's a longtime composer on My Little Pony, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Gem, and the Muppet Babies. Editor Jim Champin has lots of Bugs and Daffy stuff from the 70s. Mel Blanc is the voice of Bugs Bunny, King Arthur, Cirrhosis of the Liver, Sirloin of Beef, Yosemite Sam, Gary the Idget Dragon, Daffy Duck, Sylvester, Tweety Pie, Porky Pig, Speedy Gonzalez, Treasury Director, Rocky, Muggsy, Judge, Clancy, O'Hara, Cops, Pepe Le Pew, and Clarence, a.k.a. B.A. Bird. I don't even remember Speedy Gonzalez in here. Was he Speedy just... Gonzalez comes yeah, out uh, on, the he on the red carpet. Was he on the red carpet? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he uh, even talk? <laughs> I, don't, I, I think he says like one or two things mm. on his way in and that's it. Uh, obviously, Blank is a legendary voice actor who got his start in the golden age of radio. He provides the voices of all those characters. Um, but uh, outside of Warner Brothers, he also voices uh, Barney, Dino, and Spacely and Captain Caveman for Hanna-Barbera. Understandably, he's often referred to as the man of a thousand voices. Uh, my dad was watching old uh, uh, Jack Benny I'm sure, yeah. uh, shows. And uh, he's the whole bit is that he's trying to get to the train station, and, and Mel Blanc is the cabbie, and and it was like, oh my god, is that Mel Blanc? And That's like, funny. He's doing all kinds of. He's also like the voice of the 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 train station announcer. Yeah. Um. But Mel Blanc has just a funny bit where he doesn't like going to the train station because he hates goodbyes. And he just keeps coming and breaking down, crying. He's like, I <laughs> I always hate goodbyes. That's funny. Do you remember the last time we heard the Jack Benny show on the podcast? Oh yeah, um, ba ba ba. Ah, the Tate, uh, Tate. Oh God, it's right on the tip I, of my tongue. I'll help you. I'll help you. What do you know about it? Uh, like Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill. Oh, Paper uh, Moon. Yeah, Paper, paper Moon. Moon. <laughs> I a Paper Moon. <laughs> I almost said Channing Tatum. I was like, no, <laughs> that's not it. Channing Tatum and Tatum O'Neill. <laughs> Channing Tatum O'Neill. It's a before and after, like on Wheel of Fortune. June Foray was the voice of Granny. June is famously the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel and Natasha, Lucifer in Cinderella, Cindy Lou Who, Jokey Smurf, Grammy Gummy on Adventure of the Gummy Bears, Magicka Dispel. That's right. Uh, she also established the Annie Awards. She she organized that. Isn't uh, she one of the, she's like one of the famous witches from the Warner Brothers. I think she's too. Witchy Poo. Which is not, not Witchy Poo. She, no, she's Hazel. 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 Witch Hazel. Witch yeah. Hazel, yeah. 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 Whenever she was both. Witchy Poo is isn't Witchy Poo from HR Puffin stuff? Yeah, Witchy Poo's from HR Puffin stuff. I think she's both. <laughs> <laughs> well of which Hazel, whenever she like zips away her like uh bobby pins are always floating yeah. in the air whenever she <laughs> Now wait a minute. Isn't is Witch Hazel Disney or Disney Warner Brothers? Witch Hazel's Disney. Is she not no. both? I think she's both. Is no. she both? She because she's in she's in Roger or not Roger Rabbit. Oh my god. She's in she's in Bugs Bunny ones. There's one with bugs and, and I'm pretty and sure Hazel. that June Foray voices a character named Witch Hazel for Disney and for Warner Brothers that are technically different characters. Yeah, Witch Hazel, fictional character appearing in Walt Disney Productions, voiced by June Foray. Oh, Mary Melodies. It's an animated character from Warner Brothers Looney Tunes, Mary Melodies cartoons. <laughs> and it's voiced by June Foray on, on both sides, right? 
Because I, th- I remember we ran into this. We were talking at Cartoon Club and we were like, Witch Hazel is the only character that yeah, but appears for the longest, on both sides. For the longest period, yeah, June Foray. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Weird. Frank Nelson is the voice of Satan. Uh, Frank Nelson is also Nosy Smurf and Governor Wetworth on the Snorks. Frank Welker is the lawyer and the interviewing dog and the narrator. So those are all brand new characters, obviously, because mm. he's he's younger than these other people. Um, he has too many credits to name. He's probably the most prolific voice actor of all time. 870 credits on IMDb, but the big ones are Fred and Scooby from Scooby-Doo, Jabberjaw Shark, Megatron from Transformers. He's a bunch of gremlins. He's Slimer and Ray on the real Ghostbusters. He's Kermit and Skeeter on Muppet Babies. We heard him last year as the monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And most recently, he did the newsreel footage at the beginning of uh, Zorro the Gay Blade when he was like, last time on the Gay Blade. Uh, Stan Freeberg was the Big Bad Wolf, the Three Little Bops, and the Singing Narrator. He has lots of voices, but most vivid in my memory is the Beaver from Lady and the Tramp. Say, that works well. 66%. He also has voices on Tiny Toons, Tasmania, Ren and Stimpy, Garfield and Friends, Freakazoid, and the Weird Al Show. Okay, so I looked up the Witch Hazels. Yes, both are voiced by her. They're designed differently. They're, they don't look yeah. the same. Right, but it's just okay. interesting that June Foray voiced Witch Hazel for both studios. Well, she's just and got that, a witchy voice. Mm. But Witch Hazel is such a seemingly random name to me. Maybe it was no. at the time that was like a normal thing that you would I mean, Witch, witch Hazel is a, a thing. It's a... Yeah. Outside of it being, you know, like I think it's a very logical name to name a cartoon character Witch Hazel because it's a it's a thing outside of. Fine, I'm stupid. You are stupid. I'm dumb. It is unusual though. Ralph James was the narrator of the Unmentionables section in archive footage, so he's the, one of the original voices, and he also voiced Doctor Doom in the early '80s Spider-Man series. I think that's everything for the Looney 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 Bugs Bunny movie. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at Linktree slash Vintage Video Pod. What's that sound? That's right, it's a new patron, Dayton. As a $5 patron of the show, Dayton now has access to 42 full-size 70s reviews and 40 minisodes, and a hand in choosing each month's film. Thank you so much for your contribution to the show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing They All Laughed, which IMDb describes like so. A madcap private eye caper about a team of detectives who are following and being followed by a group of beautiful women. We leave you now with the trailer for They All Laughed. Followed. Yeah, I know. I'm following you. I don't know what to say. I don't either. Why don't we have lunch and talk about it? No, I'm sorry, that's not possible. Oh, sure, it's possible. It may be difficult, but it definitely is possible. Now, you bring your son, I'll bring mine. That's not your son, Mr. Rousseau. She's in love with me. I noticed.